everybody, and welcome back to A Friend in Me, the podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. Now, some of you may wonder why I don't describe it as talking about Pixar through the lens of the Bible. But really, I do want to allow the films to be the launching pad and for us to start through the lens of these films and then allow the movie to direct us towards specific theological or pastoral conversations. So you'll notice in our episode today, a lot of our conversation won't be specifically about the movie itself, but will it be about areas of pastoral and theological concern in light of what we see in Monsters, Inc.? Now, I want to let you know a little bit about some exciting things on the horizon for the podcast. First of all, the next episode will be on Finding Nemo. So today, we're doing Monsters, Inc. Next time, it's going to be Finding Nemo. I've had some people telling me, oh, they want to watch the movies before the new episodes come out. So I'll start telling you what's coming next. We are going in chronological order for the most part. But yeah, so today is Monsters, Inc., And next time, we'll be Finding Nemo. I also have some plans in the works for some bonus episodes for my Patreon subscribers on some Pixar short films. And I'm hoping to do something fun, something different with the release of Lightyear. So I haven't exactly planned that, but stay tuned. It's going to be fun. We're going to do something a little different. Now, today... You're going to listen to my conversation with my friend Ellen about Monsters Incorporated. Monsters Inc. scared me a lot as a kid, but watching it now as an adult, there's a lot of beautiful lessons in it for us. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ellen. It was a treat to talk with her about the movie, and I hope it's a treat for you all as you listen. All right, today we are here with my friend Ellen, and we just watched Monsters Incorporated, Monsters Inc., a great Pixar classic, and it was quite the treat. So, Ellen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I am sitting in a March blizzard today. <laughs> yes. So, Ellen, where are you? I'm in South Southern Pennsylvania. Wow, March blizzard. We don't have any snow up here in New England today, so... That's kind of funny that you guys got it. That's good. So, Alan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to this point in life. Yeah. So at the time of this recording, I have recently graduated from Gordon College with a degree in biblical studies. I had a fantastic time in New England, even being a pandemic college student. Still had a great time. (laughs) And then home for me is Southern Pennsylvania. And so in graduating this December, I then moved back to Pennsylvania. And now I'm serving at a church in Hershey uh, as a pastoral intern, doing all sorts of things, learning the day-to-days of ministry and trying out different areas of ministry. That's awesome. And you have something exciting happening this summer. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm getting married this summer. So lots of life changes this year. (laughs) Yep. Lots of transitions, but good stuff. God is God is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Ellen and I were friends at Gordon. I led her AJ small group for the AJ (laughs) honors program. Do you remember your first impressions of me, Ellen, when when we first met at that AJ honors event? Yeah, 
I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I felt like, I honestly felt like I had known you a lot longer than like a few minutes. Like it just felt like we so easily had a conversation and so, so easily just made sense that we would become friends and had so many overlapping curiosities and interests. And I was like, wow, I feel like I've known Porter so long. I honestly thought that I had met you before and maybe I did, but. Yeah, I think we both had had that. I think we both had that sensation of like, wait, I think I think I met this person, <laughs> but but couldn't remember where. Had you visited Gordon? Is it possible we had met on some visit day or? It's possible for like an honors visit day or something, but I don't yeah. know if it's just yeah. like that mid-Atlantic state connection. <laughs> True. Or a heart for ministry and creativity in ministry that yeah. connection. Yeah. I mean, that's big. That will definitely make you feel like you've known somebody a long time. So yeah, over the years, Ellen and I had a lot of good conversations about theology, ministry, the challenges of the church. We've had a lot of a lot of good conversations and have helped each other think through a lot of things. So I'm grateful to have her today. Yeah. Are there is there any specific conversation that you and I have had that you kind of remember as, wow, that was a really life giving or thought-provoking conversation? That's a really good question on the spot. (laughs) Last spring, as I was finishing up junior year, we stood outside my dorm because... COVID. Because pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I remember that conversation having a lot of questions about church and about different models for church, wondering how we would be a part of it. And then always our conversations have had, I'm learning this, what are you learning? Finding connection between those two. And that is so energizing for me. Um, Usually it's pretty cool because we have have things, oh wait, you're learning that? That actually (laughs) speaks into what I'm learning or that helps me think through what I'm thinking about, yeah. Yeah, so I, I remember that conversation as being like, I don't know, so normal for us to be able to just pick up wherever we are and just have a well-rounded connecting conversation. So, Ellen, that was two years ago. Do you think you've figured out the church now? Do you know what where we're <laughs> headed and how to participate in it? <laughs> no, but I can tell you that at this moment, I am very curious what is next, and I very much don't want to miss it. Amen. That's a good answer. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, on that note, let's let's switch over to uh, the movie. So, yeah, uh, Monsters, Inc., directed by Pete Docter, who is my favorite Pixar director. I'm a Pete Docter fan. So this is his first film he directed with Pixar. First, Ellen, I just want to hear what did you enjoy about the movie, this viewing? Maybe what stuck out to you that you couldn't remember from past viewings or just what do you find exciting about it? I love this movie. <laughs> I have just I've just watched this movie so many times, but I honestly haven't seen it in a long time. So there was a lot that was new for me, especially just in the background of the context of the movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But the thing I'm going to pick up on now is watching Sully's heart melt as he forms a relationship with Boo, as he embraces caring for her. And Mm -hmm. there are so many little moments where he looks I mean, there's not actually a camera, but the way that they've animated yeah. the scene, he 
there's this little close up on Sully's face and he gives a little smile or like does a little sigh where he realizes, huh, something's different. I feel differently about the situation and I I'm making a connection here. I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm getting there. And it's definitely intentional that you are picking up on these light bulb moments. Yeah. Um, and those it's really, really sweet. And I've never noticed them before. The animation in Sully's eyes is so good. Like like you're saying, you can see him wrestling inside with his what he's been taught, but what he's experiencing with Boo. And then you just see, yeah, like you said, his heart melt. He loves he's yeah, loving her and caring for her and it's changing him. So that mm-hmm. is really beautiful. What did you think about the script? Is there any specific scene or any specific types of the dialogue that really jumped out to you? I don't know if this was 100% true, but at the very end, number one, <laughs> Roz, she, I think, is the only person to call Boo the girl, where everyone else called her the child and Sully called her Boo. But I honestly think that she was the only one that said girl. And that just like, I was like, hmm. whoa, I don't think anyone said that yet. So I don't know if that's 100% true, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that that at least is pretty rare. That somebody calls her the girl. Yeah. Well, and we have Mike calling her that thing for most of the movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> Put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Um, yeah. So that's great. I think for me, the thing that stood out was, well, I mean, I'm always looking for the humor. In these early Pixar movies, the amount of jokes that they are able to just fit in, some of them really famous, like how Mike's face keeps getting covered up, but he's, I don't believe it. I'm on TV. Uh, Mm. Those are the classic ones. But even just some of the side quips, like when the the two garbage guys, one of them says, I told her if she talked to me like that one more time, we're through. And then his friend says, oh, what did she say? Well, you and he says, you know, my mom, she told me to go to my room. Like (laughs) I, I, I had don't know if I had heard that line before. And I was just like, that is that's very funny. And I think the chemistry between Mike and Sully is just so good. Even though it's an animated like voice acting role, I think Billy Crystal and John Goodman just did so well at capturing this kind of buddy. They play off of each other a lot. And it kind of is playing back to these like films with like the two, this the straight man and the goofy man. And they have depth in that contrast as well. The last thing I want to talk about on that point is the world building. Did yeah. you have a a favorite part of this monster world, like fav- a favorite either joke or metaphor for our world? I was really intrigued this time. Early on, the first time they're on the scare floor, they're showing the entire machinery of how the doors work. Like they spend time showing you the doors coming in and then the thing coming up and grabbing it, pulling it down, energy activated and, and how it just is running. And there's, there's so much detail (laughs) in making the factory and it feels so plausible. Like, Oh, of course that's how you would activate a door to go then scare a child. You would of course collect the screams in a canister. Um, That just makes so much sense. Or like the cards that swipe, like just the details in the way that the factory works is very, very fascinating and so realistic. 
but it's not real. <laughs> yeah. It's a fully realized world. Like, you know, they've thought through it. And I think I, I really love the odorant instead of deodorant. They have the, he has the wet dog and old dumpster yeah. odorant and the bureaucratic nature of it all. Yeah. Just like, this is just their day job, right? They scare the kids yeah. as, as a part of their day job. I think that now we've, it's become such a part of our cultural understanding. We're so used to it that we can kind of miss how that opening scene, the subversion of expectations where, oh, it's the monster about to scare the kid. And then it just turns out to be a simulation. Like, yeah, it's just brilliant. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what this film's messages can say to us in our society today. So did you have any things that you picked up on in terms of what this could speak into our culture? Mm -hmm. I was thinking a lot about kids with this movie. So I would say Monsters, Inc. upholds the value of children and then models embracing their care as a part of our lives. I was thinking a lot about the inconvenience of kids. You know, they call like the code 2319 when there's the just the random kid stuff that shows up in the movie. And there's just inconvenience and interruption to to the production of the society. And then even when Mike is trying to get rid of, or not Mike, when Sully is trying to get rid of all of the things that he accidentally pulls out of Boo's room when he's flustered <laughs> and mm -hmm. he's trying to flush it down the toilet and then he puts it in a locker and then he scoops Boo up in the carrier cage. And there's just all this, this chaos about like, oh my gosh, there's a kid in my life. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm, Porter and I, neither of us are parents <laughs> yeah. um, at this time. But but I think we could say that we've seen some of this, seen people react in this way of like, I don't know what to do with this thing. And it changed my life entirely in the seconds that it showed up. And, you know, Boo pulls out the CD and Mike's, Mike's alphabetized CDs come crashing to the floor and right. leaves a bowl of Cheerios and like tries to put Boo on a newspaper. And there's so much, yeah, there's so much inconvenience and just ignorance also of um, how I care for this, this new thing. And how could I also live my life normally? But I think that what Monsters, Inc. is actually trying to say is we can embrace that childcare is a part of our lives. We don't have to try to hide everything about kids. We don't have to try to hide their mess. You know, people, whenever you go to their house, they're like, oh, sorry about the mess. My kids. I'm like, no, kids live here. Yeah. <laughs> um, kids are a part of this place. So kids should be seen. Um, I was I was meeting with a pastor in another town and her theory with kids and church is that kids should be seen and heard in church. So they don't have like a separate child care for kids. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just the first time, honestly, I think I've heard of that, where they are inviting kids into their service and that kids aren't in interruption and that if kids yeah. want to dance and want to yell and want to cry, that's embraced. And, and if you're going to be a part of this community, it means embracing that as well. And that's just really, really interesting to me. I think that's so important. And you've really touched on a beautiful thing about this movie because I think you're right I think sometimes our society we don't know what to do with children because if we're so focused on productivity like what can a, what can we get from a person then the kid who 
we just maybe see them as a future adult rather than embracing them for who they are now. I think even deeper than expressing that our care for the child, I think the movie shows that the the child and, and Boo is an agent herself, right? Like an agent of good and an agent who ends up transforming Sully's heart, like we talked about. So I love what you said about the church and how incorporating children into a worship service. Are there other ways you think that we, as a society or as a church, can think through how to empower children, care for children, live into a better like understanding of the value of children? I think about two two spaces, public spaces and private spaces. So I mentioned having that private space of your home and feeling like when adults come over, oh, I got to clean up this mess. Oh, I have to look like I have some sort of picture of what I think I have it together looks like. And then in public spaces, there's just this idea that like a kid should be learning how to um, how to be an adult, like how to how to control themselves, how to manage their emotions, how to keep going or produce. I think about like school with like the decrease of recess time of how much we're teaching them that their production and their their image of I've got it together is valuable and is rewarded as opposed to their imagination or something like that. I was just, I just saw yesterday on Instagram, this little article about a 12 year old boy that was a huge doodler. Um, and he got in trouble in school for doodling all the time instead of doing other work assignments. And I understand that there's layers to the layers to that situation, but then he just got signed on with Nike to start designing stuff for them. This 12 kid but he was punished for his imagination and creativity again more layers there than the simplicity i just yeah i'm yeah. sure but still like is like where where are there opportunities that we just say okay you're enjoying this i'll learn to enjoy this with you as opposed mm-hmm. to no i need you to do it my way what if we tried doing it the kid's way which i think we see solly doing like hey i could i need to do this the way that who is going to be able to receive or the way yes. that she's be able to function. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm thinking of um, a moment I had this summer at La Vida. So I work at this summer camp La Vida and Nate and Amber, our bosses had their daughter Evie up at base camp with us. Two and a half year old girl running around playing hide and seek, <laughs> having the time of her life. And for us, college students or recent postgrads, it was so life-giving to have a little girl around who could, you know, take us away from the stress of running the camp and the stress of COVID and the and just play hide and seek. And just the mm-hmm. the joy that she shared with us was such a profound contribution to the community. And I think like you said, Sully is allowing her to be a child and she's not going to play by his adult fearful rules, right? Mm-hmm. But there's beauty in learning from children. At the end of the summer, we had a time of affirmation and challenge that we did with the staff. 
but we actually included Evie in that. And we all affirmed her as a staff for the way she had blessed us. And then we gave her little challenges like, well, unfriend sure to try potty training again. And just, or there was a, just a lot of affirmation of the blessing that she had been as a genuine agent of good. So yeah, I, I, I think Boo is a hero in this movie. And it's important for us to not overlook her agency and joy that is the main transformative power in this plot. Yeah. And she even has agency, even though she can't, even though we can't even understand what she's saying. Yeah. There's something, there's something about like, she's not even able to communicate as, as an adult, let's say, but she is still making an impact and influencing. It's just so cool. I love at the end when she, Mike was asking, he goes to shake her hand <laughs> and she just gives him a big hug and then he embraces it. It's just a good example of that, trying to treat her as as one thing and then her being her childlike self and that being a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to talk about a, a slightly different take in terms of a cultural look at this film. I think that Monsters, Inc. demonstrates that fear can be a powerful tool in society and the economy, but it's not a healthy tool. Mm-hmm. So we see how the monsters are extracting screams from children. So in a sense, their whole job is instilling fear in others. Mm -hmm. But we also see how the monsters are told that children are toxic and that if they touch a child, they'll die. So Mm -hmm. they are also driven by fear of these humans. And I think the fear of the other, fear of someone different than yourself, it's then used as this tool to continue this system. So we have, yeah, the continuation of scream extraction because the monsters, they don't, they see the children as this other that is dangerous to them. So of course, if someone is dangerous to you and other than you and is, is completely foreign, then there's this it seems more acceptable to then mistreat that person in order for your own gain. But as Sully realizes throughout the movie, actually this way of scaring children is not a good thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. um, corrupt and it's mean. And we see him discover the tragedy of the fact that he's scaring these children when he re- sees the fear on Boo's face when he he roars and Boo is terrified by it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think this is something that people on the right and the left uh, can learn from in terms of do we want fear mongering to be a tool we use in our economy? It, we see fear in marketing. We see fear in politics. We see fear in the church. And I think this movie is challenging us to reconsider that and reconsider fear as the uh, main driver in society. Porter, do you have an example of a fear that you've been led to cling to that you learned you didn't have to fear? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that growing up, 
I was afraid of ideas that were different than mine or ideas that contradicted my Christian worldview or my conservative Christian worldview. (laughs) And uh, I think I've grown over time to recognize you can, there can be difference. There can be difference between me and someone else that doesn't inherently require fear to be present. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can listen and hear different ideas, different perspectives in a hospitable and gracious way. Maybe I'm not going to agree with everything that's being said, uh, but I think sometimes we can be so caught up with, oh, I need to kind of defend my orthodoxy or defend my way of seeing the world. And then it leads us to fear other people. And the problem is that then that can lead to the mistreatment as well. It can lead to us distancing from others, thinking that they don't have anything valuable to contribute to our lives, thinking that, oh, if I touch that, that's toxic, right? And I think I've grown in an ability to engage with the other, both in terms of just like a wider, more diverse group of people that I've interacted with, but also in terms of the way that people think I'm less afraid of certain other ideas that maybe I would have been scared of before. Porter, what do you think happens when you let go of the fear? What what comes to take the place after the letting go? Well, in this movie, we see they recognize, oh, wait a second. Maybe if we shifted to an economy of built on laughter, that would actually be more productive, more valuable and more healthy. We see with Sully that he is afraid of Boo at first, and so is Mike. And they think, oh, no, this human child could kill us. But as he gets to know her, there's a trust that develops. And he realizes, wait a second, I can trust this person. I can be friends and love and end up loving this person. So I would say that love and trust are the things that come in, right? And we see in scripture, perfect love drives out fear. So loving someone is, I would say, the biblical command, right? We're called to love one another. And if we love one another, then fearing one another kind of goes by the wayside. And I I see that problem in society. Like if you think about how we reacted to COVID, there was fear mongering, On the left, in terms of like, oh, for a long time, like we have to follow every most draconian policy. But then on the right, there's this fear mongering like, oh, if you wear a mask, you're succumbing to this authoritarian state. And it's like, wait a second. So fear was used as a as a tool by both ideologies to then control behavior or or whatever. But then what the problem is, is then that fear is driving out love. It's driving out trust. So we have a whole monster society that's based on, oh, human kids are are dangerous. And I think we have a whole political system based on, oh, the Republicans are dangerous or, oh, the Democrats are dangerous. And. Yeah, that's it's a tough, tough thing to sustain rather than one of, hey, let's come to the table and give each other the benefit of the doubt, try to love one another. I know that's idealistic and I know there's a lot of complicated reasons why that fear is there. And some of that fear is based in 
experiential hurt. So I'm not downplaying that at all. But I do think we often give ourselves over to fear. And I know I do that in a countless ways. But yeah, I would say love and trust are hopefully the things that can replace it. And with that comes laughter. And and we see in the final scene, Mike and the little boy, who he's now it's a comedy show. Instead of trying to scare the children, we're trying to make them laugh. And there's it's like he has to build a rapport. So instead of it being an antagonistic energy production where the only way to produce is by being against something or being against this child. Now it's, oh, I actually have to build, I have to build some comedic timing or like figure out what this kid will think is funny because the first couple jokes, the kid does not think are funny. So then Mike turns to slapstick, right? But in a sense, that's showing us how if fear is driving us, then we're going to inherently be motivated by being against people. And at the end of the movie, we see, hey, actually, let's collaborate with the human kids. Let's make them laugh. I like that word uh, sustainable. Like what is what is actually sustainable? You, you use the word healthy. This model of antagonism is unsustainable. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> the evidence is around us, right? Do you have any other thoughts about that? element of fear in the film or or laughter and joy before we move on to the next part when sully is starting to realize that he doesn't need to be driven by fear because the thing he fears is not necessary to be fearful of he has to overcome that status quo because not not complying with that system of fear gets him banished and that is really hard and you see mike really taking that banishment hard like mm-hmm. this is the end of everything i can't believe that i bought out of the system for a second because now i'm here in the himalayas <laughs> and i have lost everything in realizing that i don't have to live by fear and Sully takes on the responsibility of I'm going to change this. And I mean, Mike does come along then, but you see Mike really wrestling with, I wish almost he wishes he was back in that system of fear, mm. wishes never questioned anything. So there's, there's a cost with not being fearful of what those around you are telling you to be fearful of. That is so true. Yeah. When you question the status quo of fear, there are consequences. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's just another way in which courage is required, right? You have to courage to challenge the fear in the first place and then the courage to be able to face uh, the consequences of challenging the status quo. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know if I do that, but I'll try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Porter, what is a truth you learned today about God connecting to Monsters, Inc. I think going along with those themes we've talked about in terms of how we view children, how we interact with the economy and how we deal with fear, I think Christians can be agents of a new way of seeing the world. And this movie points to there isn't only one way of doing things. So at one point, Sully is challenging Mr. Waternoose, who thinks that they need to kidnap children to extract their screams. And 
Sully says, it doesn't have to be this way. And uh, at the end of the movie, like we've talked about, it ends with laughter instead of fear. But I think as Christians, we are called to be agents of a new way. And and we're called to challenge both the culture, but also, you know, our own tradition <laughs> and say, it doesn't always have to be this way. And we can use scripture to help us foster an imagination of how we could live motivated by love and trust and by love and trust of God rather than by fear. So I know you mentioned Walter Brueggemann and kind of uh, his ideas of Christian imagination or how we approach the world. So did you have similar thoughts about what this movie has to say about theology? One thing I wish I could remember which article, what the title of the article is by um, Brueggemann. Um, if somebody is so curious, contact Porter after listening to this podcast, and I will dig it up. But Brueggemann talks about scarcity and the anxiety that that produces. And he actually talks about it in regards to Pharaoh in Exodus, about how, you know, Pharaoh has so much. <laughs> he is in charge of a superpower. He has everything at his fingertips, and yet he wants more. He can't let go of his slaves. He can't, he he hardens his own heart in the desire for more, and that that's anxiety producing instead of resting in his abundance. Mm. So the, the contrast of scarcity and abundance and anxiety and rest. And I think Monsters, Inc., shows this, that their society is operating on scarcity and in increasing scarcity as the screams become less and less. Children of today are, they say, are harder to scare. But then there's this opposite as Sully rethinks how he could live, as you were saying, Porter, a new way of living. And he sees the abundance of laughter when they're uh, in the I don't know what it's called, but <laughs> when they're in the room, but a very large room of all of the doors in the world of all these kids' closets, and Boo laughs and lights up every door. Yeah. There's like thousands and thousands of doors she lights up with her laughter. And I think it's like that point that Sully's like, okay, there's no other option here. Like laughter is the way to go. I have mm -hmm. seen with my own eyes. <laughs> and Sully later that laughter 10% times more um, productive than screams, but I don't know. It looks like it's a lot more than 10% or, or 10 Yeah. Um, it looks a lot more than that to me, but yeah. So Sully's looking at this abundance and he reorients his life to that. And that leads him to care for Boo and that leads him to change an entire company. And then even more so change an entire society, how a society runs itself it ran itself on porter you were talking a lot earlier about fear it ran itself on um scarcity which produced anxiety they were anxious about this energy crisis they're anxious about their fear of human children and solly says there's an abundance of opportunity to form relationship and i think it's so clear at the very end when they're on the laugh floor instead of the scare floor, the scare floor has turned to the laugh floor and there's community and mm -hmm. everybody is like just having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> um, somebody's playing, there's confetti. There's this 
community that has formed around abundance. And I think that that is what, that is one of the many things <laughs> that Christianity offers us is this opportunity to rest in the abundance of the Lord. And that should give us confidence to influence and uh, influence others to let go of their scarcity and embrace the abundance of Christ. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I do think at the end, that antagonistic spirit, it not only are they now collaborating with the children, but like you said, it, it there's more of a community togetherness with the monsters themselves. And they are not, it's not as competitive. Like when Sully and Randall this whole time have been competing for who can get the most scares and it's, it's a competitive and intense environment. And like you said, now at the end of the film, there's confetti, there's joy. And on the wall at the end of the film, it says, think funny. So they're being now formed to think in a humorous way, rather than to think about how can we scare? How can we be against? How can we attack? And I, I think you're right that as Christians who trust God, and that's the ultimate reason we don't need to live in fear is because of our good father, then generosity, community, laughter, and peace and rest, all those things can flow from that, which is something that I think Jesus demonstrates in how he sits with sinners and, and tax collectors and he's eating with them. His his own tradition, his own religious tradition is saying, what is he doing eating with them? Because they had an imagination that was antagonistic towards those people. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is calling them to reimagine and say, no, uh, we, we got to eat at their table. We, and the, we got to love them because it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick, right? So there's a new way of imagining that Jesus calls us into. And I think we can both do that, like I said, for the culture, but also the church. What, what are some ways that you think this could occur? We talked about our, we've had our conversations about the church over the years, but yeah, do you see any practical or impractical? It doesn't need to be practical, right? It could be an ideal, idealistic hope as well, but what, what, how could the church live into this? This is, this is such a good question, especially because I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you the answer first. Well, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, oh, yeah. The thing that comes to mind for me about the church is, in, in our conversation uh, of antagonism, is church against church. Like, my Christianity is better than yours, or like, my church is bigger than yours, my church is growing and yours isn't. There's a competition instead of a collaboration. Sometimes there are churches that are collaborating, that are interested in interfaith dialogue or inner tradition dialogue. But there is also, as we come, dare I say, as we come out of a pandemic, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as we come out of a pandemic, we're trying to, there's conversa- there's a lot of conversations about how do we rebuild? How do we get back what we had? I've heard a lot of pastors say, well, before the pandemic, we were at this count when people ask them about how many people attend your church. There's something about definitely grieving what was moving well and what was working well and serving people well. There is a grief to that. I I believe that. 
But then there's also this challenge to not just assume that it's going to go back to that or that going back to those models is what's best for the church that you have in front of you. You might have a lot of different people in your church than you started the pandemic with. You might have a lot less people. You might have more people. I've definitely been in churches that have grown a lot during the pandemic and churches that have shrunk a lot during the pandemic. And for me, I think what I'm most interested in for myself is what are we going to do now? Not can we get what we had before? It's really fun for me to see who to see the new people coming through the door. Um, But my biggest thing is just hoping that they do find a church, which is what I was told when I was in college and looking for a church was, hey, this church might not be the best fit for you. Maybe it's too far away. Um, Maybe you don't have a reliable ride to get here. Um, All those things about college that can make church hard. But we hope that you find something and we're we'd love for it to be us because we would love to share Jesus's love with you. But in this moment, I share Jesus's love with you. And yeah, and I and we hope you find community. Yeah. How about you? I think I think one thing that I have found to be a great blessing being at, at church in the North Shore is that there is more of a collaboration between churches than what I grew up with. And I'm my church is a part of this North Shore Gospel Partnership. And it really does seem that there is a community aspect of, oh, we're trying to spread the gospel hand in hand, not spread the gospel with our like eyes over our shoulders, trying to make sure we're ahead of the guy next to us. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I think you're right that forming an imagination of collaboration with other churches, even if they don't agree on every specific uh, minute theological point as well, I think um, is important as for sure. Mm -hmm. I think when I was thinking of how can a Christian imagination call us into something new in this film, we've kind of talked about how children Mm -hmm. were treated as an other or how they were treated as a resource to be extracted. And now there's this restored relationship where it's there's it's actually about how do we relate to the other and how can we do that in a good way when sully roars and we see boo's terror sully recognizes this is not the right way to relate to a Mm -hmm. little girl like this she doesn't deserve to be uh, roared at she deserves to be loved and cared for so for the church i think we need to recapture an imagination surrounding restored relationship so how do we as humanity relate to the world the physical world the planet how do we relate to people who are underprivileged who are suffering how do we relate to each other i mean thinking of things around us rather than resources that i can extract for my own good as people or as places to relate to in a healthy way and, and thinking through this mindset of re, of relationship. So actually at our at the seminary this week, there was a speaker talking about restorative justice. And he was using this framework of that God is passionate about restored relationship with him, restored relationship with each other. And we so often can fall into a trap of being passionate about meritocracy. So, oh, what can I accomplish? How can I be the best? Or kind of libertarian justice, which is like, what are my rights? What what am I owed? 
which aren't forms of justice that are inherently wrong. But as a Christian, the question we should be asking is, how must I relate to God? How must I relate to my neighbor? And uh, the church should be the agents of those questions in the culture and the agents of those conversations. And I'm thankful for the conversation today where we're doing a little imagining here, you and I, Ellen, thinking through this film, but also how how can it lead us to be in healthier relationship? And I think this connects back to what you said about the melting heart of Sully, is that we need to allow our hearts to be melted by the reality of of people who are worthy of love and respect and who are created in the image of God. And once we realize that, yeah, hopefully the spirit will melt our hearts. So Ellen, uh, I think this has been a really good conversation. Before we go, I want to hear your thoughts. Which character in this film reminded you of me? And it doesn't have to be a perfect fit. This one was tougher for me, but yeah. What, what character did you pick? All right, Porter. I picked Boo for you. And (laughs) not because in my head you're a little girl, but um, (laughs) because of your curiosity and your play. One of the things that I noticed early on in getting to know you was that you enjoyed making connections with people through play, either through sport or through board games, through movies. Big one was movies. And I think Boo loves that. Like when she first meets Sully, she's playing with his tail. Um, And and uh, they have that scene in the bathroom stalls where she where they're playing hide and seek or the way that she gets all the little other monsters to say Mike Wazowski as they're in their childcare at, at Monsters Inc. And I just see that energy of play and (laughs) I see that energy of play as being the way that you like to make connections with people. And I think, I just wonder uh, like teenage boo, young adult boo, I feel like she would be looking to play with people still. And I think you do a great job of that Porter. And along with that, she also is the person that helps other people to reframe how they think. And Porter, that's like exactly what you're doing right now with this podcast. It's why you get excited about these things like film and and other forms of art and theater that um, help us rethink through play and imagination. And Boo does that, even though she can't communicate with words um, yet. <laughs> but when she does have words, my goodness, what she would say. But um, she, her work is about helping other people to rethink. And she is invested in the relationship from the start. And mm-hmm. I think that really represents you, Porter. Well, thanks, Ellen. I appreciate that. I, I will own that Boo Booness of myself. I love it. I. <laughs> I do resonate with her, right? Like, I I love that she's just having a a grand old time. All these people are freaking out and think it's the end of the world. And she's just having fun with her friend, right? (laughs) That's good. Well, this is funny because for you, I chose Sully. (laughs) Um, Because I think, as you kind of expressed earlier, you care a lot about children and you've made sacrifices to demonstrate children matter and to demonstrate to them that children matter. And I think Sully in the scene when he has been banished 
and he wants to go back because Boo's in trouble. Mike kind of mocks him and says, and questions him and says, like, what? You think none of this matters? Like, what about me? What about our what about our job? What about these things that we had? But Sully recognizes this child matters. And this person who the rest of the world has kind of written off as either dangerous or a resource to be extracted is valuable. And for you, I think you are someone who you care about children and you care about people who have been marginalized, who maybe the world has overlooked. And yeah, you're you're there saying, no, this matters. And we we need to have these conversations. And I think as I see you going forth in ministry, I think you are going to be someone who really values and upholds children in the church and who will take a stand to say that people matter uh, when that stand needs to be taken. So yeah, I, I've really been encouraged by your friendship, and I think it's funny that I'm Boo, you're Sully. Love that, love that <laughs> switch there. But yeah, I won't be coming through your closet. Don't worry, Porter. <laughs> okay, yeah, don't. I, you, I didn't choose you for this fear factor. I don't yeah. think you're a terrifying <laughs> monster. <laughs> yeah, but man, you. yeah, you're welcome. This, this has been fun. This is a, a great movie. I highly recommend to those of you listening to rewatch this one it makes me cry every time at the end it's funny I, I did you cry this time not this time okay i cried even though i was like okay i know exactly what's coming but i cried a good amount well thanks ellen i hope you have a a great rest of your day and thanks so much for recording yeah thank you porter I'm excited to see what other conversations you'll have with other friends, how you'll keep playing. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Alan. And there you have it. That's my conversation with Ellen on Monsters, Inc. Just this week, Ellen and the other students I mentored when I was a senior at Gordon are going to walk across the stage and accept their diplomas which makes me feel old. I can't believe it, but I'm so proud of her and proud of them. And it was such a joy to have that conversation with her. A lot of our conversation focused on childhood and children and the value that children bring to the table as agents of good and as sources of joy and delight. Boo is certainly a character who has become iconic in Pixar for her connection with Sully and for her just childlike energy. And I love what Ellen said about how Boo doesn't even have any verbal lines that we can understand in the movie. And yet she carries such a punch in terms of her, the weight of her character and the lives of those she interacts with. Now, Jesus valued children as well. In fact, he valued children against a similar society that maybe devalued children or did not view them as significant as he did. In fact, when people were bringing children to Jesus, trying to have him bless them and encourage them, the disciples tried to keep the kids away. So I'm going to share a story in the book of Mark where Jesus demonstrates how important children are to him and how important children are as teachers to those of us adults who are trying to follow Jesus and live as he would have us live. 
This is in Mark 10, starting in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, a lot of you probably know this story from the pictures you saw uh, in Sunday school where Jesus is sitting surrounded by a crowd of children and he has a warm smile on his face. And that is a great image of Jesus being with children. But there's something more here just beyond his desire to be with kids, which is, of course, crucial. But it's also his desire to help us see what kids mean to him and what they should mean for discipleship. So let's try to use two characters in this movie to explore a little bit what So let's try to use two characters in this movie to explore a little bit about what Jesus might have been getting at here. So how might Mike Wazowski, perhaps the best demonstrator of adult sensibilities in the film, how might Mike try to enter the kingdom of God, receive the kingdom of God? And how might Boo seek to receive and enter the kingdom of God? Now, Mike Wazowski deals mostly with worry throughout the film. He's often barking at Sully about the mess that he's created and keeps saying, put that thing back where it came from or so help me. (laughs) He is frustrated, angry, and concerned because his path isn't going perfectly the way he wanted it to. And so he may try to enter the kingdom of God through micromanagement, through achieving every little last uh, drop of success that he can get from life, trying to trying to prove his worth and feeling really anxious when it seems like things are getting in the way of that. Now, what about Boo? She mostly interacts with the world with sheer delight, with joy, with playfulness, and with gratitude. And so she would enter the kingdom of God skipping, singing probably, Now let's think about how they interact with Sully. Mike, in theory, loves Sully. He's his best friend, his roommate. But when the going gets tough, he really questions Sully. And he starts to accuse Sully of being selfish for seeking to care for Boo. And so he kind of has an antagonistic and questioning spirit. Whereas Boo, Her relationship with Sully is one of trust and enjoyment. She sees Sully as someone to draw near to, someone who she loves and is dependent on, and someone who she trusts when goings get tough. And then finally, we see the great ending, which was mentioned in my conversation with Ellen, where Mike Wazowski extends a hand to shake Boo's hand at the end of the movie. And what does Boo do? Of course, she just hugs him. You see, adults try to enter the kingdom of God with a handshake. Okay, God, here's what I can offer. Here's what I can bring to the table. Here's what I can have for you. And God wants us to enter with a hug, right? Boo 
understands what relationship looks like. So often we can fall into the trap of seeing our connection with God as a contract between two neutral, emotionally neutral parties, just trying to get something out of each other, rather than as a parent-child relationship where we are called to enjoy him, trust him, love him as a father. And so I think we can learn a lot about entering the kingdom of God from Boo. Now, of course, you may be thinking, okay, well, there's certainly a lot of kids who also are self-important and arrogant and worried and transactional and all these things. And it's certainly true. Not every kid is always depicting some sort of uh, harmonious interaction with the world. Parents are saying amen to that, right? It's clear that kids also have a lot of things that are the results of sin and that manifest selfishness in the way they treat others. But I think what God is calling us to in this passage is to trust our Father with a smile on our face. And there are those moments when children just look at someone with love and with dependence on them and trust and care. And even the hardest-hearted people can see that and think, okay, now there's something special in this moment where a kid is looking at someone they love with sheer and utter trust and joy. Let's receive the kingdom of God like that. Let's be like Boo. Let's go for a hug, not a handshake. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Like I said earlier, Finding Nemo will be in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hope it was a blessing to you. And I'll see you next time. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you were inspired to praise God and to go out and watch some Pixar. Now, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Porter Sprig. That's Sprig with two Gs. And you can also find me on Patreon.com. If you like the podcast and want to become a monthly supporter, you can support me at Patreon. Search Porter Sprig. And you can get access to bonus content, bonus episodes, and some other things that you'll find there on the website. If you are not a huge fan of the show, but you also just want to help a brother out, feel free to support me on Patreon as well. I'm a poor seminary student right now, just bebopping through life, trying to make ends meet, so any sort of support is very appreciated. The opening and closing music is performed by the one and only Maggie Bishop, my cousin and friend. You can check her out on Spotify. She's pretty great. Goodbye, and God bless you.